The views and opinions discussed on this show are of the guests and host. They do not reflect the views or opinions of associated sponsors or affiliates. Sudden alteration in belief systems, moodiness, and confusion are natural side effects of listening to this podcast. Enjoy at your own risk. It's the odd, odd, odd to Newfoundland. Ghostly greetings from your host, Jonathan. Mysteries, ghosts, monsters, and lore. East Coast Esoterica and so much more. If it's up to you, friend, it's on the up to you found line. <laughs> Balls. Welcome back to the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, John Mallard, and I'm bringing you back with some more fun. So glad to hear from you again. Happy New Year to you all. This is the first guest interview I'm doing in 2023. Where the heck did the time go? I mean, this is a question we've asked ourselves really since the beginning of time. <laughs> but let me tell you something. When it comes to time, if you want to save a little bit of time and you're a fellow podcaster such as I, Highly recommend tonight's sponsor, Accusanus. I've talked about these guys for the last two years because they've been just the most generous sponsor to us, giving us everything we need to make me sound way smarter than I actually am. That's right. With a mere turn of a knob, you can change your audio to a more crisp and beautiful thing. And I want to talk to you a little about something. Get out of your comfort zone, just so to speak, with Accusanus. Have you ever thought about making an audio book? Imagine you can make your own audiobook and Accusanus can make you sound like a superstar. How cool would that be? I know I'm a big fan of that. And someday I might even have my own published book as an audiobook. But that's beside the point. I want you guys to give Accusanus a chance. I want you guys to check them out. They're down in the show notes, okay? Accusanus, remember, is software for your computer that works with Audacity, Adobe, all kinds of great stuff in there. One of my favorite things to use is the voice leveler. I'll be honest. I got a weird voice. You guys know I had some voice problems, especially since this time last year. I was in a coma and I got intubated. As soon as I woke up, I had a raspy voice. I don't have the powerful voice I used to have before that. So Accusana saved my butt because it makes me sound just as loud as my guest is be. And sometimes I got to lower the volume of my guest to match mine, even though that doesn't happen very often now. What's really cool about it is that it's just a mere turn of a knob. No complex stuff needed, taken care of, and done quick and easy. Once again, guys, check out Accusanus down in the show notes, and we'll get right to our guest. Let me tell you something. The world is full of possibilities. It really, really is. Nobody really knows anything, but we got a lot of really cool theories. And one of the theories that everybody seems to agree on is the Big Bang Theory. You know, recently we've looked deeper into space than ever before, and it seems to have us searching for answers deeper than ever before because what we found isn't exactly, well, what we thought we would. Some people turn to spirituality in uncertain times, throw a little pandemic on there, and suddenly you got people looking through the Bible. Once again, I'm so happy to have said, and I'll say this again on my podcast, that that I am a spiritual guy. But, you know, I can't help but shake the feeling that whoever is the author of this thing 
certainly did their homework, but how on earth did they know the things they know? Now, this might sound strange to somebody who hasn't read the Bible before or isn't even close to it, but Genesis alone is literally a word-for-word, okay, account of how our universe came from something infinitely small and infinitely dense, okay? This is a step-by-step thing. How the heck, how the heck am I supposed to reconcile all this stuff and still go about my day? Ha! Well, that's where tonight's guest comes in. That's right. Tonight, I am so fortunate to talk to Andy Grell. Now, Andy is is coming on my show. He's actually been to Newfoundland and before and reached out to me about some of the more paranormal subjects he likes to cover. And I know he's going to be a little bit controversial, but you know what? We invite that in. I want people to message me and tell me how how much they love what Andy got to say or even how much they hate what Andy got to say. Because let's be honest, it's all about how we feel and how we interpret everything. But what if I told you his interpretations of some of the things found in the good book might keep you up a little late at night? Andy, how you doing today? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm as happy as it's, I am. Uh, it's, it's, a li- it's a little tough presenting uh, what I have because uh, a lot of people don't uh, really want to go for it. Well, um, you know, I got a really interesting audience, Andy. I got a really, really interesting audience. They're very smart. They're very intelligent, but they're also very open-minded. And, uh, and I think that's a very important part. So go ahead, lay it on us. Let's chat a little tiny bit about what's going on. What is happening? You wrote a paper, you sent it to me, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so interesting. I have to have you on my show. So let's go ahead. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and how you got into, well, really kind of finding the weird stuff in there, in there being the Bible. Okay. Um I'm from New York, born and raised, um, and I was always a, 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 a Bible fan. Um, I'm Jewish, and uh, so I don't know if you know this, um, the entire Torah is read throughout the year. So, I, I, so like up to my bar mitzvah, I... Uh, I was immersed in that, and um, so I just loved the stories. Um, sometimes I didn't believe in them. Sometimes I thought they were hokum, but uh, I, I always liked the stories. Um, and at some point, and this was in 1994, there was a baseball strike. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I was uh, only in grade four, Andy. <laughs> All the men needed something to do, and they started picking up politics. And one of the political things that was going on was to teach creationism in public schools. And when I heard about that, I really went monkey crazy. Um, And so I started using my arsenal of, of, of Bible knowledge that I had, plus whatever reference materials I had. Um, I, I have a, um, excuse me, I established the three timelines 
in Genesis. So the first one is the, the order of creation um, with uh, a universe coming into existence at a zero point in time composed of um, space, matter, energy, and time, which is basically what we see today. Um, so that's that's a, a fact from, from, from Genesis. It, it went that way. Um, it's something, you know, everyone has, a lot of cultures have their own creation myths or creation stories. But um, some of them, like the Greco-Roman stories, have um, titans um, floating around in, in a chaotic state until someone brings cosmos, brings order to them. Um, a lot of the Native American tribes have um, a pre-existing gods that, that, that do stuff that have been around forever. Um, but this, uh, the Genesis story, is um, take your time with it. Has it. The, the exact it's the exact order. So that's the first day of creation, and it's interesting that. Um, the text says that it was evening and it was morning, a first day. And as it happens, in fact, before, you know, before let there be light, it was absolutely dark. Um, the, the physical cosmology of the universe, it took 600,000 years of darkness before matter was cool enough to have photons escape. Absolutely right, and, and just to kind of bring all of our listeners up to just, just to kind of bring all of our listeners up to speed, there what he's getting at there is Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and and just to kind of kind of reiterate there, we're getting basically a timeline right away in the beginning. That that tells me right away that's when time began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we we've got. You know, something coming from something infinitely dense and infinitely small, which, by the way, has never happened before and isn't repeatable. So will always be a theory for Big Bang. <laughs> right. This this is quantified as infinite. Like I just there's nothing infinite. We've proven that. <laughs> like I, I jump in with the science mind there right away. But what's really, really interesting is something you mentioned earlier because, you know, the universe did not come from the mouth of some primordial monster nor was it the offspring, you know, something that, that defied beings or whatever. It's instead depicted here as a true creation in the modern sense of the word, which is something that I kind of kind of just latched on to what you said there. Anyhow, I'll, I'll let you continue on. Go ahead, Andy. Okay, um, so we're talking about the, the, the timelines, three timelines. So going over the, um, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Um, if the universe is known or assumed to be 14 billion years old, each day of creation would be about... 275 billion years, <laughs> excuse me, uh, per day. Um, hmm. So it, as it falls out, so here is the order of creation, right? Um, 
so um, it's we talked about the first uh, the first day. Let there be light. Then the origin of the universe at zero point in time. The next thing is what really knocked me out, and I came late to the party on this. Um, this is the the, um, the firmament, which separates water, which is a fluid, below the firmament from water above the firmament. And as it happens, the way that um, solar systems form, um, they have they start with planetary disks and then planets form. And there's a, you know, a viable solar system, but everything in space is always revolving around something. So in this case, particularly for planet Earth, our solar system and planet Earth, that's revolving on something. So, and I know you know this, John, you're in Newfoundland, you're in the Newfoundland Sea, I've crossed the Newfoundland Sea myself. Um... And so there's a Dow shock uh, to the the solar system. Um, We're heading counterclockwise at some point. And so just like a regular boat, there's a a bow wave. And uh, according to the Voyager probes, um, both Voyagers, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, when they left the bow shock, it's also called the helioclause, either way, um, when they left into interstellar space, but still uh, giving telemetry back to NASA, what was found out was that um, the plasma level, high-density plasma, was 50 times. Uh, the plasma is a fluid, by the way, just in case. Anyone doesn't know that. Um, the plasma level is 50 times what it is over the bow shock than it is under. If that um, firmament, right in Hebrew, for anybody who wants to know, it's called a rakia, um, without that firmament, we would basically all be either toast or living in caves underground because. We just be burnt to shreds. And and to kind of elaborate just a little tiny bit there, and and help people out there who might not be familiar with, with the Hebrew say there, uh, you know, people back then to them the universe was a relatively small sphere with a hard outer shell or firmament, like you mentioned. And um, we all thought the Earth was at its center back then, right? The firmament itself was filled with tiny holes, though. And through which then the divine light would shine through from the stars. So what what Andy's trying to say here is that once again, there's a timeline here and how things came to be. The stars, you know, not necessarily came first. There wasn't necessarily the light. There was the, really, the uh, the firmament, right? So so that's that's really interesting. That's really interesting because how the heck would somebody know that? Back then, with no scientific instruments whatsoever, like how is that even possible? Exactly. It's brilliant, but not only that, it's extremely paranormal. I have no idea how anybody would ever know that unless there was either a divine intervention or b 
maybe an even more ancient civilization. But even then, but even then, there would be traces of something. So, wow. Continue. Continue. Sorry, I'm just nerding out. I love this stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Um, so, the star of the next few segments is nitrogen. Um, so, it, there's no life without nitrogen. Nitrogen is very necessary for life. So, in day three, and here we go, according to the Big Bang Theory, the autotrophs began to dwindle. okay? Uh, autotrophic life is created. So what had to happen is that there had to be a period of what's called um, 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 third, third generation stars, right? the original stars that came up. So those stars were little bits of, of hydrogen and helium would come together and then they would gather the gravity and that would gather more and more and more until there was enough hydrogen, helium, and lithium uh, for the weight of that to ignite into a star. Um, so that's, that's the regular astrophysics. Uh, and just to make sure, um, in order to get nitrogen, the population three stars that I just mentioned, the original star, population three stars, um, when they uh, they only lasted maybe 50 million years, they were, they were short lived and they would go nova almost immediately. And when I say almost immediately, that's you know for universal time. And there has to be the right kind of star. You get solid material blown out of um, of the population three stars, and then you start getting um, what are called dwarf stars, which the sun is one of these dwarf stars. Um, and so, yeah, how does how would someone writing in twenty five hundred BC know the real order of that? And so what I uh, use as a standard is I just call it a special phenomenon. A special phenomenon of some kind, which I'm totally neutral on. I don't know what it is. I don't have a guess. However, um, it's possible to find out. I believe that it's possible to find out. And that's, that's where my, my the paranormal angle of what I have um, is uh, the, the paranormal angle is this is what you have to look at. So that could be, um, well, I don't know, comparing people's miracles, um, looking at, you know, going from like the, like in my case, at one point, there was a parking space angel that I live in Manhattan, and it's very impossible to park. And a friend of mine gave me the name, this complicated name, in case I ever really, really needed a spot. And so that, uh, but I had to promise not to use it unless it was an emergency. And so I never used it. It wasn't an emergency, and now I've forgotten that 
name, and maybe one day I'll remember it. But it's things like that, um, things that are that defy the law of large, large numbers, um, things that just happen. But we're getting out of the, the scientific stuff. But it's just a possibility if you if you analyze enough miracles or what people are saying miracles, that's a door open to possibly finding out what's going on. But now I'll get back to the scientific portion. So once we have enough nitrogen for autotrophic life, that's about eight billion years ago. Uh, and that's that's an observed fact. All right. Um, maybe not on Earth. There's not an Earth yet. But it's possible somewhere in the universe that there is autotrophic life. It's possible. I would think it would probably be, I mean, I got, I got to agree. To be honest, you either have a choice <laughs> with regards to science. You're either going to believe in a deity who intelligently created everything or you're going to believe that, well, aren't we ourselves repeatable data? There has to be life out there because all the building blocks of life are out there. And just to throw this out there to everybody, we are yet to create life from nothing. We can't take inanimate atoms and, and molecules, whatever you say, and throw them together and zap it and make it come alive. We can't do that. We still haven't figured that out yet. So, you know, there's always going to be room for God. But once again, to, to jump right in on the science part of that, like you mentioned, it's... It, well, I, in, in, the, in the 1950s, there was an experiment... Um, Trying to cobble together life, putting the, the, the enzymes and the catalysts all together in, in test tubes and beakers. And uh, the, the biochemists found um, what they're calling mycelles. So it's kind of like a proto cell membrane, mm -hmm. but it never got to the point of, um, of actually creating self reproducing life. <laughs> what a beautiful concept. What what a beautiful concept that perhaps this could very well be right in front of everyone's eyes back then. The science and religion need each other. <laughs> science and spirituality. We have we literally have the shell for a cell, <laughs> but we can't put the the guts into it, so to speak. And and, and that takes the creator. And, and I think that's where we meet uh, on that, which is why I couldn't wait to talk to you. I almost feel like we have to get this first part of the podcast out there for everyone to hear because. Me and you have got a lot to agree on here and a lot to, to, to question, really. Um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we literally have no idea what holds us together. <laughs> we still don't know what the heck gravity is, although we have found out that we have waves of it now. <laughs> we still don't know if it's a push or a pull. We can't figure it out, although most evidence would point towards both, uh, which makes, once again, no sense. And, yeah, like there's a lot. There's a lot in science that is not explained, and people just scoff at it as, "Oh, it is what it is." And I don't know. I, I can I can go on for hours about the holes, the holes, so to speak, in so many things that people hold as really its own religion because we don't know. And I I, I, I love to pick your brain. Yep, go ahead. John, I question everything. 
Yes. That's my job. As a fraud investigator, that's my job. I question everything. You should. Whatever it is. And I do. But but the thing is, like, it takes somebody with courage to stand up and question those things sometimes too. And, and that's why I love about the paranormal. Even though it's it's literally not normal <laughs> to think this way, and yet – should it not be what we're out there to do? You know, the true scientist, okay, is somebody who's out there looking for how things work. And I'm sure you can agree with me on this one, Andy. Like, our current model of physics is not working anymore. We've gone as far as we can with it. And the wonderful thing about science is we just keep adding. Do you think that the issue we have here is, once again, going back to that big old toe, <laughs> that theory of everything? Like, do you think that 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 might be what's going on there. Once again, we 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 know so much, but yet so little. Is is it that? Well, you know, we all cheered for the Higgs boson. <laughs> yeah. But if I recall correctly, um, they thought they found the Higgs boson, but there were two lines rather than one line. So I don't know the status of the Higgs boson now. Um, it's a little out of my area, um, but we find stuff all the time. And uh, you know what? What science is all about is you put your nose to the ground and you question whatever you're, whatever it is that you're looking at, and that's science. You might be the only person on the planet who I can ask this next question to and actually have an opinion on it. So I'm kind of excited. <laughs> Okay, so here it comes. I had this thing in my head where what if we took almost pretty much every story in the Bible and just looked at the black and white of what's in there and just just ask some science-based questions. So everybody knows that the whole Noah's Ark thing, like, oh my God, how is that even possible? If you only had two of every animal, everything would be, well, horribly, horribly deformed <laughs> after a couple of generations. But, like, what is your thought on Noah's Ark being more than likely something genetic that survived? Like, do you think we might have a weird interpretation there of what went on for real? Although we do have great floods well, documented. Well, well yeah, yeah, this, this is, to me, this, I think the Ark, without having, you know, like, and the elephants and kangaroos, <laughs> you know, like, something so. Um, I, I agree with you in one thing that um, that uh, the flood um, well you're in one end of Canada and on the other side on the Pacific side of Canada um, there was something called the um, the Spokane and Missoula floods which started as glacial lakes and I think they call it what the shield of Canada. Mm. Um, so literally, so, um, so let me give you a, for instance, the Sumerian legends about the flood, it was a week, a week of rain and everybody was flooded out. And then the gods came back down to earth and then the people had to feed their gods. Um, but in, in this scenario, um, literally, uh, it didn't start with rain. It started with um, it started with a groundwater flood. Like I say, it's, it's 
Washington, the uh, like Alberta, British Columbia, Washington State, Oregon. A lot of that prison um, topology and geography was a factor of those glacial lakes literally bursting forth from the ground. And then so how does someone know writing 2,500 years ago that instead of just the rain of it, that it really was um, the fountains of the earth bursting forth? So, I mean, there's enough of these to really, like, try to, try to trace it. And, and um, I spend a lot of my free time updating this material, and uh, I, um, I make bets with myself about what's going to be discovered. And in fact, um, one of my favorite bets I had with myself was um, crossbreeding um, the Nephila. Everybody is a fan of the Nephila. I am sure everyone in your audience knows about the Nephila. Um, so there was, in fact, um, a cohabitation period um, about 35 to 50,000 years between Europe and uh, the island of Gibraltar, which was the last stand of the Neanderthals, according to a guy named Clive Finlayson, who is the scientist in charge of these caves where humans and Neanderthals uh, lived, maybe not in harmony, but lived together. And sometimes it would be all human sapiens, sometimes it would be all Neanderthals, but it was those caves that was the last stand of them. But they were there. And so um, everyone walking around today who does not have African roots um, has uh, a clade of mitochondrial DNA, the L, M, and R clades. That's a technical thing, it just describes what kind of DNA is going on. Um, it never hit Africa. So uh, apparently in the field, we never got that far south. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but you can, people can do the research at home. If there was open, um, like Ancestry.com and 23andMe, if those databases were open, um, people could really establish how much Neanderthal genes are in any particular person or in a group of people. Um, so these original peoples, people that had this L3 claim of genetic information, at some point um, during one of the ice ages, it's called marine isotope stage two, um, you were basically able to walk from Somalia to what is now Yemen because the water level was so low, all the ice, all the water was locked up in glacial ice. Um, so again, that's, that's how people were writing 2,500 years ago. How did they know that? 
<laughs> and like, I can, I can move to uh, a different timeline if you like. So, I mean, we're pretty much the, the roots of, of, of Earth and humanity, and what we know begins in, in these, these six steps, these simple six steps. Um, there's also a um, there's also a or there's also something that's not that's out of favor. Um, it's called deuterogenesis. Now a lot of people uh, have the question, right? If if God made people on the sixth day, along with you know the you know the last thing that was made on the sixth day before all the other animals. Um, if, if God made people before then, then what's going on in a couple of chapters ahead where it says that God collects dust, they're calling it dust, okay? But he's collecting material from all over, different types of material. And then he fashions Adam from that quote, and I'm using air quotes here. You can't see me, but I'm using air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, that gets constructed Adam from this particular genetic material. And then when it's time to have a wife, he takes, um, so people say it's a rib. All right, and in the Hebrew, the actual Hebrew means God would have taken material from his side, uh, probably um, the hip, which is where a lot of the stem cells are. There's a lot of um, a lot of stem cells there. Oh wow, that's really fascinating. I, I never heard that before. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because you know I kind of always wondered like why was it the rib. But like it could have been a misinterpretation, and that is that is really interesting. I never ever thought stem cells would be coming in. This is just a fascinating conversation. Please continue, Andy. Sorry, I had to jump in there. Yeah, the, the, the weight, the weight is more. <laughs> so not only does he create, um, not only does he create Adam, while he's in the process of God, um, air quotes again. Um, he puts Adam into a deep sleep. So, show of hands, audience, um, if someone's doing a surgical procedure and um, the person is un unconscious, <laughs> does that remind anybody of anesthesia being used? As someone who was on Provoval for two weeks ago, for two weeks, exactly a year from today, actually, I was halfway through my coma. I know exactly what he's getting at. <laughs> what he's trying to say is that a deep sleep means that he can't move to be able to have a surgery performed on him. He's literally talking about the anesthesia there, correct? Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Keep going, man. This is just really cool. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so this is called deuterogenesis. Um, nobody likes the name anymore. It used to be something, but it's really fallen out of favor. So the 
Neurogenesis has a lot of good stuff, but it doesn't have a formal timeline. So this is uh, this is the part. Neurogenesis, the word Neurogenesis, means second creation. So this is the second creation. Um, so in Deuterogenesis, what we have is Cain and Abel, those stories. We have Cain, in addition to getting his um, the mark of Cain, he is the first person in a book of literature to, to build a house. Um, and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, he founded the land of Nod, and at that point, along with Enos and Enoch, um, and I may have those backwards, but forgive me, I'm a little foggy. Um, that was when, uh, according to the Bible, that men began to call on the name of the Lord. So, even though Cain was a bad guy, I guess he was pardoned, and then they started organized religions. Uh, so that's one point, that's a critical part of Deuterogenesis. And this goes from, from, from Eden to Cain to Tubal Cain and the roots of civilization. But it also has evils. Um, and it, it parallels uh, the timeline from Adam through Seth to Shem, Ham, and Yafet when there's the flood. Um, but as I say, there's no, there's no dating, so we don't really know when what happened. So we don't exactly know when the flood was. But we can see in the text of Genesis that there are two people named um, Lameth. So Lameth was Noah's father, but the other Lameth was the guy, um, the other guy was the, the other Lameth was the guy who invented um, plural marriage, and he was the guy that uh, killed somebody for making fun of him. And he boasted that he wouldn't be punished because Cain wasn't punished. Um, so this is this is uh, this is what we call background information. <laughs> but it's it's it's, um, it's basically the beginnings of, of civilization. Um, starting to be able to use tools to build stuff. And then, of course, at the end of this is a, um, a lot of people call it the curse, but um, it technically in, in the Hebrew um, tradition, it's a blessing uh, that God gives to Adam and Eve. And it is a fact excuse me, that Adam and Eve in the garden were naked fruit of us. They were wearing clothes, they were eating fruit. And then back along comes the serpent and mixes stuff up and all hell breaks loose. But the key thing in this lesson that God gives Adam and Eve 
actually hinting at evolution there a little bit as well and you know i just love to pick on darwin anyway <laughs> i can't help it i gotta pick on him a little bit here but oh look we got the conventional thing of darwin and he came to conclude that since humans were the most advanced of all creatures our appendages you know must be the most specialized right but yet here we are the most general of generalists that ever existed in the history of the planet instead humans are unique in that we are the ultimate generalists man well carnivores are mostly sharp you know sharp teeth cutting teeth well and herbivores got those grindy ones you know we have more or less a distribution of both we're perfect and rather than growing at a specialized angle as another animal's, human teeth grow straight up and down. And here's the really kicker. I think God is in our hands. I really do. Because, well, they're probably the most generalized appendages when compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. You know, they do not allow us to run faster or climb trees or provide bigger claws with which we could kill our, our cows or whatnot. <laughs> features, you know, the, the evolution, it, it kind of shows the, the environmental conditions are, are thrown out as for humans. There's there's something else in the driver's seat for us as we evolve because they are literally universal and non-specialized. Our hands, you know, to permit us to, to perform a wide variety of stuff, man, a wide variety, and they're not essential to our survival at all. So once again, there's something else in the driver's seat as opposed to evolution. And, and, and I think that and what you just spoke to me about, uh, the idea that we are literally going to describe birth before <laughs> before it happens. And and listen, I'm I'm sure that we can now say epidurals are us playing God. 
because we're taking away the pain a little bit. But that doesn't stop the pain from going on for a long, long period of time. A lot of women are laid up for six weeks, which is kind of unknown for a lot of other female mammals out there who aren't laid up at all, but only come into season every now and then. That is an incredible piece of knowledge you shared. I like that one too. I never really thought on that. I love learning new stuff, man. I really do. Okay. Um, so shall I move on? Yeah, yeah. I just I just gotta jump in there, man, to show you I'm still interested and still listening. <laughs> and okay. and kinda and kinda interested in your take on some things too. So you, you continue on. <laughs> so anyway, I have um, I have a series and this this can get a little longish. Right. I have a series of what I'm calling the main timeline, the, the, the meat of Genesis, um, where events happen alongside the name of a particular patriarch, and so you know who's doing what. There's an event. And so, for example, uh, one of my favorites is. Um, one of my favorites is um, the flood of um, the famine of Joseph. Um, so, as um, I'm going, I'm jumping ahead here, but um, um, the, the, the famine of Joseph was a direct result of something called the Pharaoh event. It was a volcano. Um, North of Egypt, north of Egypt, and west of Asia, um, close to where Italy is now, and it just blew its top, and um, it messed up the weather for 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 years, many years. And in fact, if you're anywhere in um, the top of Africa or the bottom of Europe, and you start digging, um. You'll probably wind that with a layer of tuff, a TUFF, uh, from that volcano. But that's that's not the, the only volcano um, that's likely to be referenced in, in, in Genesis. Um, but also, uh, I'm going to go backwards now for a while. Uh, Adam and Eve on the way out of Eden. Uh, so any of your audience that's, that is hit, uh, you know, chapter and verse, word for word, will know that on the way out of Eden, God sewed jackets for Adam and Eve. They needed clothes. They had the naked, they had fig leaves, then they had um, leather coats. And... Um, why would why would there be uh, a need to have animal hide clothing in a hot place like uh, like the top of Africa? And the answer is um, there was an even bigger volcano, one of the biggest volcanoes ever known. It's uh, in well, it, it's in Lake Toba. Now it's a lake. It was a volcano. It was a mountain, 
No, Toba. And it was like maybe five or ten times the size of the Santorini that the Theron had. And it made, um, they almost started in Ice Age, but not quite. But a lot of places started getting really cold and were hot. And that was uh, a major um, contributing factor in getting the heck out of Dodge. Because it was, it was, if it was cold in Africa, you really had to get away from it. Because the people there really didn't, um, they didn't know anything but, you know, their own uh, ecosystem. So I believe it was actually miles, cubic miles of ejecta coming from that. And also, just like the, the Chamberlain event, um, if you dig down a uh, particular geological layer, you will find the tough, the total tough from that, from that event. And um, and it, it just, um, I'm sorry. <coughs> sorry, John. It's okay. Um, I want to fix it in post. You do your thing, man. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> Okay, so it's, it's, it's just another thing um, that happened. And what I'm calling, I'm calling these bits of information, I'm calling them um, out-of-place information artifacts. And I'm calling them like that because they're information and they're artifacts, but they're out-of-place. And this is a theme. There's... No one would know. I mean, people people would be current on the on the um, Santorini event, but no one writing two thousand or three thousand or four thousand years ago uh, would know about about um, Toba. Um, except uh, there's one possibility: if some group of people had managed to find a Durable means of record keeping. So um, almost every tribe, almost every culture, no matter how advanced or not advanced, almost every culture wants to keep track of their people. They want to keep track of their culture and their people's stories. And if some group had a method of having durable records like that, that would be a possible answer to how all this really, really old stuff managed to get into um, the relatively newer um, stories in, in the traditional Bible. Um, so that's, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> so um, anyway, well, I'm just uh, moving down the here. Take your time. Don't worry about it. I got it all tagged all here. Right, Don't worry about so it. I'll take care of all of it later. <laughs> Do your thing. So here, here's something. Here's something that um, I, I really dug into um, about twenty or so years ago. There was a theory that Homo sapiens. Um, 
emerged in several different places. I'm, I'm holding my hands up. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's just, for whatever reason, I just took exception to it. How could you not? Like to me, like the biggest joke ever told was, you know, the the idea of a missing link. There are thousands of missing links, man. Anthropology is one of the just, just so. I I I, I think it's an abused science. I really do. I really do because I've I've never come across something that's been written as gospel, pardon the pawn, as evolution with regards to human beings because they talk about all missing link when there's thousands, thousands missing, thousands. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I, I can tell you, this is, this is, I can go ahead a little bit. Uh, if you're talking about um, continuing evolution um, and this, uh, um, continuing evolution in what's called adult lactase persistence. So, hmm. I remember some of your audience may be lactose intolerant. Yes, that's the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> yeah. But, but, this is, but this, is the, this is the opposite of that. Yep. So, there was something called, um, so in, in um, what's now the Netherlands, a gene developed where People, adult people, could digest milk and other dairy products. And that started to spread. And then at the same time, other uh, genetic variants came up in, um, in the Hijaz, um, where um, they're like the top of Saudi Arabia is now. People were drinking camel milk. And... Um, Eventually, they were able to tolerate, adults were able to tolerate uh, drinking the camel milk. So, there's been a number of studies about this, especially a very large article in the Times about six years ago um, to demonstrate the fact that um, humans are still evolving. And I, I found that to be absolutely fascinating. Um, well, actually, what was fascinating about it was that somebody realized it was happening because um, scientifically, scientifically, geneticists should know that we're continually evolving. If that makes any sense to you. It does make a lot of sense to me because one of the most laughable things about Darwin is he said that we were the be-all, end-all. It was his theory that we are the perfect being, quote-unquote, which couldn't be farther from the truth. When in fact, we're incredibly wimpy compared to most other beings, especially when it comes to a disease and, and stuff like that. Like, we're incredibly fragile, maybe because we're so complex, but like, I don't know, man. There's lizards. You can cut them in half and they'll still live. You can cut off a cockroach's head and it'll live for six weeks. Like, we get a cold, okay? <laughs> A bad flu, okay? We're done. <laughs> our our core temperature reaches too high or too cold. We are the Goldilocks in this place. We're dead. Like, not to mention our, our biggest flaws, which are literally 
We are one of the few species on the planet that actively kill ourselves at all times, not just for resources, but because we feel like it. There's not many animals out there that doesn't kill, you know, because of intelligent reasons. Usually it's territory, mates, uh, that kind of thing. But there's like billions of us and we're going to wipe out thousands of each other every day. So there's a lot of credence there, and Darwin couldn't be farther from the truth, although he did no doubt discover evolution is a thing. It's not the be-all, end-all. And the fact that we're still evolving, I mean, just look at technology, how technology has become a part of us. We're so generalized in our evolution that everything's a bonus now. <laughs> so, like, uh, like, I look at us like, oh, my God, like, how long is it before our eyes get way bigger because we look at screens? How long is it that before we don't store body fat like we do now because we're no longer nomadic and, and, and might not eat for three or four days at a time? Like, how long is it before we evolve those things? And I just hope and pray we don't wipe ourselves off the face of this planet before that happens. I really do. Yeah. I'll tell you, you're in Canada. Um, I, I, I don't want to get political, but, but um, I don't know if you've been following the news in the United States. Not so much, but, 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 but once again, I do keep up a little bit of stuff. If it's big stories, I'm probably listening to it. Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, so apparently our Congress can't decide on who should lead the Congress. <laughs> yes. The Speaker of the Headless. Um, and so this has been going on for days. Nothing can get done. Um, I think they're into the 12th round of trying to fix somebody. And um, we're not going to be able to pass bills to, uh, to, to pay people. It's, it's just, um, it, it's just really um, ridiculous what's going on there. Yeah. Anyway, back to maybe maybe it's paranormal. <laughs> maybe it's homeless. Well, I don't know about paranormal, but I think it's a beautiful. Uh, I just see the I just see the the duality there when you 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 literally had a president who was in place who was just a very aggressive individual, and now we have someone who's aggressive in different ways. In there, and now we have a Congress who with no one on the seat. It doesn't surprise you. There's no one on the throne right now. Listen, this has been a weird five years. Anyway, I'm not surprised. I'm just happy that there actually is a Congress. Look, they're going to figure something out. Unfortunately, you know, as hypocritical as this might sound, they might have to dig into the old religious bag of tricks and maybe have some people name somebody. <laughs> like this is this is unprecedented, though. This is unprecedented. I know what you mean. It's very scary to know that there's no one in Congress right now, and uh, who can who can lead the steer the ship, so to speak. We have all the mouths and all the minds, and no leader, and that is that's a scary thing for sure. Especially when there's war on the doorstep with Ukraine and Russia and stuff like that. Like this is this is a scary time, man. Very scary time. Well, you know, um, one of my other passions. Um, and I started this in, in 1972, 1973, the American oil shortage um, in 1970, the winter of 1973. And I was a kid. I was in junior high school. And if you, there was no computers back then. So you had to 
he looked stuff up in something called the Reader's Guide to Periodic Literature. Hmm. And I did as much research as possible in alternative energy. And I, I got some results. I corresponded. I was a kid. I was like 12 or 13. And I would correspond with these scientists, and they would answer me back. And I thought that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm still into that. I'm still a strong advocate for um, uh, for alternative energy. Oh, well, you're going to be real proud of Newfoundland then because we just signed a massive land deal to open a tender for the isthmus of our island. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the Avalon Peninsula has a very small isthmus that connects us to the western part of our province. Um, you can basically see the ocean on either side of you. That's a rarity, okay, where the place would – well, really, we're the third windiest place on the planet. So it only makes sense to have wind turbines, but now we're actually going through with it, and it's like a big deal. Like this is going to create a lot of jobs and a lot of renewable energy, and I'm just so glad – that there's something new coming because let me tell, if you ever heard about the boondoggle, which is muskrat balls <laughs> here in Newfoundland, what an absolute nightmare. A, a, a failed attempt at a renewable energy source, but I digress. There, there, There is definitely interest there and definitely some alternative thoughts. We're the third windiest place on the planet, man. Newfoundland should be like powering itself by wind realistically and – the issue becomes the infrastructure and the batteries. But I think that, you know, you give it enough time, we're going to come up with the technology for all that. It's just It just starts with powering a town. Then it starts with a couple of towns. And then you, you move on and create. And I, But even if we had a couple of turbines in every city just to take the pressure off even just healthcare, for example. Imagine having our healthcare off-grid so that no matter what – They'll always be power at the hospital. I, I think about it that way. It doesn't have to be the entire town or a world, so to speak. It could be just the the ultimately essential things. You know what I mean? It's funny you should mention that. In the 1920s, um, and I, I just can't remember names, dates, and places, but um, I believe it was called oh, Vortex. Hmm. And it was something, there was, it was an architect that constructed this building. It was a, an early skyscraper. And it, um, it had kind of like a, like a, a conch, a conch shell, you know, that, that circles around yep. the side of town. Mm-hmm. So and it was built on a, um, put it, it was put on top of the building. And so any wind, would provide energy to a turbine, and so it would power all the electricity for the whole building. And um, I think it lasted a few years, but it got blown off in a storm, and it may have done some damage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happened to it, but people have been thinking like that, that you should, in fact, um, and I have, on my, I live in an apartment building, and, um, in Manhattan, and we have uh, solar panels all over the roofs. And I, I figured out I actually have a negative carbon footprint. Right. <laughs> like, think about that. Like, and and another thing too. Like, don't get me wrong. We've done everything we can to create things to save on energy, but we've really only started to think about replacing our resources. 
with other technology. And I think what it is, our infrastructure is so heavily based on oil. Absolutely everything runs on oil. The government runs on oil, everything. If we were to change it, I, I think it's the fear and the money involved more than anything that keeps us from having a wind turbine and, and, a, and a solar panel. Fun story. So, and I'll leave you with this one to make you feel a little happier about that endeavor. Uh, there are people in Newfoundland right now who are going off the grid completely, who have access to absolutely everything, including internet, and it's all solar panel and it's all personal wind turbines that you can now buy online and hook up to your roof of your house. The wind and the solar at the same time charging your main generator slash battery to keep it all going at your house. So it's out there, mainly because it's really cold here. <laughs> if something was to happen, like we had a major disaster here a few years ago with Snowmageddon where we had almost 100 centimeters of snow within 24 hours. It was a disaster. The military had to come dig us out. Nobody had power. Like it was absolutely insane. And then we had a pandemic shortly thereafter. Like one of the first things that's going to go when the when if the world goes to shit, so to speak, <laughs> the first thing to go is going to be the energy grid. So I I, I don't know, man. I, I'm 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 feeling like a doomsday prepper here with you now, Andy. I really am. <laughs> Better get my canned tuna in order. <laughs> you know, I I ride a. I ride a bicycle. I, I get everywhere by bicycle. I have a, I have arthritis, and um, one of the things that helps the arthritis is gently riding my bicycle back and forth to work. With me, I work from home, so I wouldn't be able to have that luxury. And Newfoundland, it's like it's so freaking cold here half the time. You might be able to do that for the first few months of the year. <laughs> but like as soon as you get into January, February, man, you are you are one cold dude on that bicycle downtown. But uh, people still do it. I see them going, man. There's snow tires for bikes. Did you ever see those before, big, thick tires? Yes. I, yes, I, I've had, I had a given up. But I had a collection of interesting bicycles including one that was good for the snow <laughs> pretty cool like, um, little skis on the side <laughs> interesting stuff well Andy it's been really interesting talking to you I'm going to make sure I link your, your, your site your book where people can buy your book we never talk much about much about the goats Okay, so I want to give you a little chance to kind of plug your book here now because, uh, you know, a lot of your beliefs and ideas and some of that are, are kind of segued into the characters in that book who just so happen to be, well, goats. Tell us about that book and where people can buy it. Okay. Um, the title of the book is Scapegoats, the Goat Protocols. The setup for the book is that um, – the book of Leviticus describes um, in the desert near Mount Sinai, the high priest of the Israelites every year would select two goats. And uh, all the people of the camp of Israel would go to one of the goats and put their hands on the goat, and the goat would receive the sins of that person for the year. Um, and then when everybody put their sins on that goat, they would shove the goat out into the wilderness. So the conceit of my story is that eventually these goats, year after year, become telepathic. And they form a union 
to induce people to do good stuff. And the more good stuff they do, the less their burden of sin they have to carry from the original people that didn't sin. That's the setup. Um, I think it's kind of funny, kind of humorous. Uh, I think you'll learn something from reading it. And um, so, once again, it's it's a scapegoats and good protocols by Andrew Paul Grill. If you read it and you like it, let me know. <laughs> I'll be sure to link that for Amazon guys in the show notes as well for Andy here and you know I mean the premise of that book sounds really silly but at the same time after talking to you for the last hour I'll be very interested to see which of these goats represent what and I cannot wait to read that book it's going to be great man I'm totally going to get a copy for myself is is it an ebook or or is it the hardcover it's a well, it's a um it's like like trade paper, okay. trade paper kind of book, and uh, um, but it's also uh, on Kindle as a download. Oh, perfect! I love that. I'm I'm a big fan of my ebook reader and stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm gonna link the show notes. I'm gonna get me myself a copy too. And, and you know, I just want to say a sincere thank you to you. For, for coming on the show. I, I love this conversation. We went all over the place, and those are always my favorite ones to have. <laughs> you know, the, the best paranormal discussions are the ones about science and and, and, and well, things that are stated. So I love it. I actually do, and I, and I really, really appreciate yeah. you coming on, Andy. I really do. Thank you so very much. And uh, is there any passing uh, thought or notion you'd like to share with the audience before you leave? Um, yeah, uh, you know what? I'm going to tell you this, all right? So, slightly a little bit long. Um, again, for your, your Bible fans out there, um, Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, and this is the time when, uh, when God, um, put his head, you know, in his head, and, and um, and, uh, so, and passed over. Moses and Moses was was cleaning when he came out, and there was a conversation with God, um, a little uncharacteristic conversation about uh, how about goodness and mercy, and Moses asked God, "What what is this holiness business?" And so, from the text, the biblical text of that conversation. Rabbinical scholars through the years boiled it down to, to this. Holiness is to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to raise up those who are bowed down, to comfort the mourning, to visit the sick. And that's what holiness is, according to the rabbinical scholars. Make of that what you will. So do good stuff, everybody. That's right, guys. Do good stuff. Don't forget to check out Andy's book. Guys, listen. Wonderful conversation, Andy. You take care of yourself. Bye now. Okay. Hope to speak to you later at some point. You will, sir. Take care. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, the time to say goodbye is upon us. But don't worry. You can keep track of the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast very easily. It's available on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and TuneIn Radio. Just look for the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast banner. 
course, if you'd like to keep up to date, you can always check out the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast Facebook page, drop a like, and every single time a new show goes up, you'll be notified. You can also follow me, John Mallard, on Twitter at O-D-D-T-O-N-F-L-D. That's Odd to Newfoundland. Get your latest news on the podcast as well as the ever-popular Parajoke of the Day. From the oldest city in North America, I bid you adieu. From the Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast.